interested and engaged. If you don't have, if you didn't pick up a handout as you walked in, you might find that useful as you uh, as you want to uh, might want to jot down a note or two. Um, but I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go ahead and get started. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the folks here. Thank you for their interest in your word, your, their engagement with your word, and we pray that you give us a, a good time of conversation, discussion, and uh, listening to your word and what it has to say about how we can uh, be moms and dads that help our children toward eternal life. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a few preliminary matters. I want to just go over the, the schedule, which you can find in the back side of the course. We're calling this course Parenting with Eternity in View. Parenting with Eternity in View. I considered the name Parenting Eternity, and I thought, no, that doesn't, quite, that, doesn't, that doesn't quite have the connotation I'm looking for. So, Parenting with Eternity in View. Uh, for those of you who are experienced and parents of adult children, you know it never really does stop, does it? But, um, but Parenting with Eternity in View. So, today foundational principles. Uh, next, So we're kind of dividing this into two sections. There's a section that's a little more geared toward the younger, uh, but also is dealing with just the, the underlying basic understanding of how parenting works in God's rubric. Um, those, those are parenting for the heart. Next week, the art of connecting our words to their hearts. That's talking about how do we instruct the nature of biblical instruction. Week five, authority, obedience, and discipline. Whole week devoted to the rod of correction, uh, week six. And then the panel discussion on the early years. That's that's kind of takes the first half of the course. And then the next half of the course is dealing a little bit more skewed, a little bit more toward older kids, but also as we think about particular topics of importance. Uh, Week eight, the privilege and challenge of parenting teens. Week nine, we're still TBDing that. And then how does your child, how to help your child relate well to the church? Promoting healthy relationships with others. That's mostly peers and other adults. Navigating dating and courtship. Kids and technology. Issues of gender and sexuality. So you see we're going to be taking some of the ideas that are kind of, uh, that are, I mean, even burgeoning in our in our decade of, you know, things that might not even have had to take 20 years ago, but uh, but now increasingly are. We're recommending two books for this course. Uh, These are just good uh, basic textbooks, not textbooks, but good basic uh, manuals for parenting. uh, For There's Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp, excellent basics of parenting. Uh, And then one then his brother, Paul David Tripp, wrote Age of Opportunity, uh, which is specifically for teenagers, parenting teenagers. These are both excellent. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a bulk order of those for $10. Uh, so at the end of this session, I'm going to you know, ask you for a show of hands of who would like us to order one for you. Because if these are not on your bookshelf, they're, they're not perfect. Uh, there's even going to be times when we're going to say, hey, you know, we might say something a little different than this. But they're excellent, excellent uh, basic summaries of good basic principles. So, Age of Opportunity and Shepherding a Child's Heart. All right. Now, rules of my class. I do not get to talk the whole time. It's kind of, if you were there for Wednesday, Wednesday gathering, I really wanted dialogue between, uh, especially I was looking to get the kids engaged. But the kids, you, got, you adults all thought you were off the 
Right, and so you never ask any questions, and you never say, so, so, th- so now they're all in foundations class, except for the older ones, and so now I need you guys to pick up their slack. So I want Don asking questions. If you think I've said something crazy, I want you to stop me and say, listen, Brad, I think you've said something crazy. Help me understand what you mean. Okay? All right. So if not, I'll start calling on you. So, no. All right. Then we've got quite a bit to cover today on... Uh, in God's intention for the family. So we're going to start with God's intention for the family. So, again, stop me when you want to stop me. What did God intend when he put the family together? It wasn't random. It wasn't without, his, without thought. His intention for the family is to promote his glory by having his image fill the earth. God intended for his image to fill the earth. In Isaiah 11.9, it says, For the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That is God's intention, that his glory would cover the earth, and specifically his image, right? He creates man and woman in his image. And so, man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And then what did he do immediately after to ensure that his image would be propagated throughout the earth? He says to them, the the first command, be fruitful and multiply. The idea being that if he created them in his image, the children that they would beget would be in their image, which is his image, and God's image would increasingly fill the earth. So God is very interested in looking at himself. He wants to see himself reflected in his creation, and specifically in his creation of human beings. And so his desire and design for the families was that his image would spread throughout the earth through the bearing of children. Now the fall messed that up, right? The fall messed that up because the image of God in our hearts is now marred, but it's not completely gone. Now, the New Testament is up. The Great Commission is really statement of that, and it actually shows what that was always intended to do. Matthew, 8, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, go out into all the world and make disciples of the whole creation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So we see in the Great Commission what, what a post-Genesis 3 understanding of what it means for God's glory to fill the earth, which is that his image would be spread through the making of disciples. In Genesis 1, his goal was to make disciples of all the creation. That, was easy, that would have been easier without the fall because, you know, children would have naturally borne the image of God perfectly. Their children would have borne the image of God perfectly. That's how it was originally conceived. But again, the, the idea is and as parents, we have to be clear that our, our goal is not, we're going to talk about this a little more in a second, but our goal is to see our children become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in creation and in the Great Commission, we see God's intention for the family. Uh, we also see that God uses the family to show images of the gospel. Right? We've just been through Ephesians, and we saw that the husband-wife relationship... God, that, that wasn't like, oh, God's not thinking, hmm, how can I 
give a picture of the, what's a good picture of the gospel? That's what we do in, when BJ and I are thinking of sermon illustrations. That was what we do. What, what, how, how can I help us think about something? That's not what God did. He wasn't like, I need a picture of the gospel. Hmm, marriage is a decent picture of the gospel. No, he created man and woman and their marriage relationship to be, to show us the nature of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. He created fatherhood so that we might understand his role as the father of his people. So you think dads, you know, it's, it's not like God got the idea of being our father from what our relationship with our kids is. It's the other way around. You're, you are imaging God to your kids as you uh, fulfill your role as a godly father. Because your job as a father is to mimic and imitate and image fatherhood over his people. So our roles in the family are actually designed to showcase the gospel. That heightens our responsibilities. We're actually playing out the drama of redemption in our homes. When we go home and we go get done with church and we go home and we have lunch and we figure out what we're doing this afternoon and we're interacting with one another as husband, wife, parents, children, that's supposed to reflect the relationships that God has with his people and the relationships with Christ has with his church. It's supposed to look like the gospel. Tall order. We're going to get to... All right. Now, understanding our God-given roles as parents. What is our role as parents? Well, there's a lot of things that the, that the culture tells us might be our roles. Uh, and one intrinsically that we have is we, we intrinsically think of ourselves as kind of owner-operators of our children. Right? We wouldn't necessarily say that, but we think of our children as ours. This is my child. Right? We say that, obviously. This is my son, my daughter. But that idea can go beyond how God intends it and actually means we think we have a controlling interest in our kids, that they're ours. Now, that's not actually the case, right? Our children, our children, are not ours. They belong. They were made by. They go to God. So, what that means is that one of our, one of our jobs as parents is not to cling to our kids. One of the things we have to do is release on our kids. One of the first things that we did after every... We have three children... And when we found out that we were expecting each one, the first thing we did was we sat down and we prayed. Because we knew child and this life that had been given was not ours. And we said, oh God, we prayed two things. Oh God, open our hands. Open our hands. This child is yours to do with as you see fit, as you will, not as I will. So open our hands. Let this child be whatever you intend. Your, your, yours, is the, your, yours is the agenda that has to govern that. And then, of course, we prayed, oh God, we began to beg for their salvation. Because that's not in our control either. That's not in our hands. So having a mindset that I can control, these children are not mine to control, they are mine to exercise authority over, but control, and they're not mine uh, in the sense that I have ultimate ability to determine their destiny. They are gods. 
and our hands have to be open. All right, so we're not the owner operators of our kids. Our role is not to be our kid. Right? That's something that's very, that's, that's, again, we want relational connection with our kids. Sometimes we can create codependent relationships with our kids. We want our kids to be our friends. What is in uh, fruits of having a strong and overstrong desire to be your kid's friend? What's that going to naturally produce? Permissive parenting. Why is that, Allison? You want to be their friend. You want them to like you. You want them to like you, and so you will avoid doing anything that will, in your mind, keep them from liking you. So it's going to naturally uh, allow, for, allow for a kid-centered, kid-dominated home, which is not God's intention and design. So we have to get over the fact that that God does not intend for you to be your kid's friend. <laughs> now, does that relationship over time, you know, hopefully in the future, does that result in good and, and, and friendships? But you're never going to be your kid's peer. You're never going to be your kid's peer. There, there's always a generational gap <laughs> that's going to exist, right? They don't want to be your buddy, they don't want to be your pal. That's, that's actually not... Even once they're adults and you're older adults, that's still not the relationship that they're... That, you know. So we just have to get past the fact that we're not... God didn't intend for us to be our kids' friends. Any pushback on that idea? That doesn't mean we don't intend for us to have a good relationship and a real good relational connection. But we're not seeking relational affirmation from them. Do you see the difference? All right, I haven't gotten a question yet. All right. Oh, there you go. Fred. Fred? Yeah. Oh, as independence comes, friendship, true friendship can grow. True friendship can grow. It's still not going to be a peer relationship you're still going to have a generation of accumulated wisdom that they don't have. They're still going to be calling you for, what should I do? <laughs> you know, so, but, but of course, that can, there can be deep and meaningful relationships with, with your adult kids. No question. There's deep and meaningful relationship all the way along. It's just not a peer, buddy, buddy relationship. Uh, briefly, you're not the actualizers of your kids. Your goal is not to make sure that they... Realize all their hopes and dreams, right? You think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the highest one being self-actualization, that I could be me. Your job is not, your role is not to make sure, ensure that your kid is the best me that they can be in that sense. So we're not the actualizers of our kids. We are stewards of our kids. That's how I would define our role, our role as stewards. What is a steward? What is a steward? Someone who takes care of another person's property. I'll up the ante. Something who's, who's responsible to take care of something very precious. Right? So God has entrusted to us as parents something exceedingly precious. The care and 
the development of another eternal soul. That's exceedingly precious. That's exceedingly weighty. Right? It's, your children are of infinite value, and God's given them to you to steward and manage and develop and cultivate. But what does a steward always have to do in the end? What does he have to do? Turn the precious thing back to the one whose it is. And that's what happens with us as parents. We launch them into the world and we give them to God. Ultimately, we're going to pass off the seed. <laughs> and they're, they're God's and we give them back. So our, our role, we should think of ourselves as stewards of our kids. Recognizing their precious value and seeking to cultivate that for the one whose they are and for his glory. All right. We need to understand our mission. We need to understand our mission as parents. Again, there are lots of false missions out there. What is my goal as I seek to raise my kids? Well, there's lots of false goals, lots of false missions. And it's important to have mission clarity because if we're not clear on the mission and not focused on it, it's very easy to get sidetracked, right? The, the importance of mission clarity is so that we can be sure we're all operating from the same playbook. You know, husband and wife are operating from the same playbook. You're, you're seeking, you know, it's thinking about you guys who are sailors. How long does it take, if you're just three degrees off, how long does it take to get seriously off course? I don't, I don't sail. Tell me. Can you, can you get seriously off in a lake as big as Lake Champlain? Okay, yeah, no, no, I don't want your answer. I want someone else's answer. <laughs> Yeah, a few degrees. So, so we need to make sure that we are clear on our mission and our objectives so that we know what we're shooting for. Uh, one false mission that's common in our culture is to, do, is to help our children live up to their potential and their gifts. Because our children are all gifted, aren't they? Are any of your children... And hands up, any of you who have gifted children? <laughs> Sidebar, none of your children are gifted. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> it's like doing sports in Vermont, right? What, what, how about the championship game for high school basketball in Vermont, right? That's the, the most fantastic ball in the land, right? We're not, in the end, trying to seek... Our mission is not to make sure that our kids' academic giftedness or their sports giftedness or their musical giftedness so they can reach and be the best whatever that they can be. That's not the mission. Another mission is it's not to make clones of yourself. Right? Your mission is not to make sure that your kids grow up to be exactly like you. Now, you say you laugh because you think that you're not trying to do that. <laughs> but what's the reality? What's the reality? You have a default instinct to, to think that your experiences and your norms are what's, are what's best. You chose to live your life a certain way. That was your, that was your decision. And naturally, you think it's a good way. <laughs> and so naturally, you're, you're going to seek to... Uh, and, and isn't that true? Naturally, generally, do 
to follow in our footsteps in the way they do things. You know, there, you, know you, th- you can think about your own parents and think there's probably a number of, of key ways that you operate the same way your parents operated, even if you didn't have a great relationship with your parents. But kids tend to, because monkeys see, monkey do, right? Sorry, I didn't mean to call you all monkeys. But, um, but in general, the, that modeling principle is so strong that they naturally are going to. That can't be our goal. Your children are not you. <laughs> Your children are unique. God's made them individuals. Your children aren't even all the same as one another. And they require individual care and handling. Now, it also can't be, a, a kind of a, a, a corollary to that, your goal can't be to have, to one day be able to take the great family photo that has you and your spouse seated in the center with, you know, all the clan around you of your descendants, right? It can't be uh, you are the patriarch and matriarch and you're creating your own little mini society, <laughs> right? Because that's going to make you feel so good when you're 75, Right? That's not the goal either. It's not to keep our kids in our own orbits like that. So, um, it's not to create clones. It's not to uh, live vicariously through your kids. Like, oh my goodness, if I had had the opportunity that Junior has right now, boy, you know, so I'm going to do everything and invest everything to make sure that they can do what I didn't get to do. Right? Well, Junior might not, you know, so, so Junior's, is Junior can stuff a basketball. Maybe Junior's not interested in basketball. But you're interested in basketball, and you didn't get to do it as well as you thought you wanted to do, and so you're going to do everything you can to make sure Junior can maximize his basketball potential when Junior doesn't interest in basketball. You know, try out for lacrosse. Right? So it's not about you fulfilling your dreams through your kids. All right? Now, no one's going to set out to say that's their mission. But isn't that what eventually you, you can kind of pull back the pieces and say, that's actually what's happening on the ground. We've got to be careful. It's not get to get the best grades in order that they can get into the best college with the, low, the best financial aid package so that they can get a good job and have a good financially secure life. Right? Financial secure, setting your kid up for financial security not... The mission. Now, if you think back a couple of generations, that is kind of how the Depression era parents wanted to do for the baby boomers, right? They wanted to set themselves up so that they would never have to experience what they experienced. And that, you know, has lasting ramifications. But your job is not to make sure that your kid ends up financially successful or successful in their career. It's not to prepare them for the real world. Now we're getting a little closer to things. Yeah, do we want our kids to be prepared for the real world? Of course we do. But is that our mission? Is that our mission so that they can be savvy operators and make sure that they can live with good common sense? That's a goal. It's not the mission. It's not to protect your kids from danger. To keep your kids safe. Right? Again, something that we want to do. But if, our, if we live in such a way that is oriented around safety, what kind of kids do we produce? 
kids that are fearful, kids that are risk-averse. So I'm so proud of Isaiah because he wants to do something for his birthday. He's about to turn nine. And he wants to go with one of his parents and he wants to kayak out to one of the islands in South Hero from where his grandfather's, you know, kind of camp is. And that scares me a little Because he's, you know, now he, he doesn't, he's not asking to go alone, right? But, like, I'm not entirely sure that I, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll, we'll see how I do with that, or, or, or Lisa will do that. But I'm so proud that that's his, that he wants that. Right? I want him to be, uh, I want to see him not have safety as his highest priority and concern. Make sure that he does everything safely. All right. I'm, I'm taking a little too much time here, but these are, these are important. That we not have. It's not to make sure your relational needs are met. We've kind of already covered that. It's not to mask, you know, you have all these other relationships that aren't going well, and so you're going to make sure that your relationship with your kid is satisfying to you, right? So you're going to do everything you can to make sure that the relationship is satisfying to you. That's a self-defeating mission. Here's one, and I want you to interact on this for a minute. What about the mission to have kids? What do you think? Hmm? <laughs> you like it. I think sometimes people who want just want their kids to be, be well behaved, like that's the goal, but aren't working on the heart attitude. Because sometimes kids that are naughty outwardly do have a good heart attitude. They're just naughty outwardly. And sometimes kids that are look great in public have not got have not internalized that at the heart. Okay, so well-behaved, well-behaved, good behavior is often a manifestation, what, of the external or the, ex- or the internal? The external. The external is uh, important because sometimes it reveals the internal. But we're interested in the inner man, right? There's an outer man, there's an inner man. We're interested in the inner man. We're not interested in external conformity. Also, it can be that if you've got a kid that's a real initiative taker, you know, someone who's actually going to be, you know, out in front someday, you know, which might be something you want to cultivate. Well, what? How is that going to manifest itself at six, seven, and eight? Is it going to manifest itself in docile little angels? Not necessarily. Right, so we're not necessarily interested in well-behaved kids. And you can do all sorts of things. You can, you can work towards good behavior in, in actually disruptive and, and uh, discouraging ways uh, and, and, and you haven't even touched the heart. Okay. Alright. What is the true mission? Here's what, I would, here's what I would submit to you as our true mission. It's preparing our children for life. For eternal life. We're preparing our children for eternal life. Now, eternal life is not about duration, right? The wicked and the righteous will both live forever, right? It's about quality. So if we look at what, how Jesus defines eternal life in John 17, he says, he's praying to the Father and he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is about quality, not duration. It's about knowing the living God. 
1 John 1 talks about that life, talks about the quality of that life in 1 John 1, 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and which was made manifest to us. Jesus demonstrated and modeled that eternal life to us, the life of knowing God. Now, here's what we can't do and here's what we can do. We cannot ensure that our children will have eternal life. We'd love to be able to ensure that, but we ultimately cannot. You cannot follow any particular formula or set of principles guarantee that your children are going to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and know him and go to heaven. Every single one of us who know Christ wish we could do that for our children. We cannot. That is not ultimately That's in the Lord's hands. However, here's what I would say we can do. We can't ensure our children's salvation, but we can prepare them to receive the message of life in Christ. We can prepare them to be in a position to receive the message of life which is in Christ. They can only get gain eternal life through the gospel, and we can do what we can to position them to be in a place where they are able and ready to receive the message of the gospel. I think of it kind of like this is not a perfect analogy, but I think of it in terms of volleyball. And who scores the points in a volleyball game? What's the name of that position? Looking at you, Munger. The, the what? Hitter. It's called the hitter? Uh, yeah. oh, I thought it was some cooler name than that. The hitter. The hitter scores. <laughs> right? What happens before the hit? The setter. And what does the setter do? Does the setter get it over the net? Does the setter score the points? The setter is setting the ball up so that the hitter can slam it down and score the point. I think that's a little bit like what we're doing as parents. We cannot, we cannot get our children to believe, but we can do everything in our, in our power to set up the Lord. If, it's, if we can say that with reverence to set him up so that drive the gospel home into our kids and they can believe. And we're going to are the means to do that. Next, what is, it, what is, a, what is having a, uh, a, the mission of setting our parents, uh, setting our kids up for eternal life, what does that do? Well, one of the things it does is it allows us to play a long game. It allows us to play a long game. Because when does God save? Only when they're... No. No. A number of you were saved as adults. We play the long game and we stay in the long game. It doesn't matter if your kids are 35 and don't seem to have any interest in the gospel. A long game. Because it ain't over until it's over. And so... So parenting with eternity in mind allows us to keep the relational connection going. Starting when they're little. It's to keep the relational connection going and 
be instructing in the gospel in such a way that whether it's early or whether it's late, the Lord, the Lord can work. It allows us to persevere in hope. I want to read you a letter written by a 17-year-old student to a friend. This guy said, You ask me, 17, you ask me for my religious views. You know that I, I think that I believe in no religion. There's absolutely no proof for any of them, and from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. All religions, that is, all mythologies, to give them their proper name, are merely man's own invention. Christ as much as Loki. Superstition, of course, in every age has held the common people, but in every age the educated and thinking ones have stood outside it, though usually outwardly conceded to it for convenience. Of course, mind you, I'm not laying down as a certainty there's nothing outside this material world. But in the meantime, I'm not going to go back to the bondage of believing in any old and already decaying superstition. Well read, well written for a 17-year-old. <laughs> you know who that was? That was C.S. Lewis at 17. We play the long game. We play the long game. Because the arm of the Lord is not so short that it cannot save. And if we, if our kids leave our homes outside of Christ, but we continue to have a relational connection which is strong, and we have a relationship of trust and affection that allows us to continue to stay in the game with them, we do not know what the Lord will do. And we have no reason to believe that he will not save. We may not even live to see it. We play the long game. That also allows us to distinguish between the truly important and the deep. Having our mission clear that we're preparing our children for life, for eternal life, allows us to keep us from confusing what's not really important. It's really important. Table manners really important. You're fussing at your kids about their table manners. And you're like, there's going to be a banquet in heaven and they need to be able to like <laughs> use a knife and a fork. How about a clean room? How about a clean room? Very important. Critically, critically important. He's exactly. He's the Holy Spirit is going to be coming around. It's clean. No. How about kindness? How well your kid's doing in terms of keeping his room clean? How about how he's doing in kindness? How about respect for authority? See, if we, if we aren't clear about what our mission is and what the important things are, if, we, if, we're, if we're clear that the goal is eternal life and setting, themselves, setting them up for eternal life, it's going to allow us to stop fussing at them for a bunch of unimportant things. Now, do you have to have house rules? Do you have, of course you do. Of course you do. And even, even things that aren't all that important, if they're connected with your work you're going to see, they become important. But they're not important intrinsically. And so it allows us to separate out what's truly important in terms of character development and, and a heart that's ready to receive the gospel when the Lord should work and a bunch of trivialities. And honestly, we spend a lot of time on the trivialities. Or we can because we're unclear. They gotta see. Oh. We're trying to separate out that which is truly important, and that is 
having our mission clear. Okay, understanding our God-given means. That's our God-given mission. What about our God-given means? We're going to deal a lot with this, and this will be covered briefly, but our goal is training and instruction and discipline. Those are the means that God has used us in order to instruct Deuteronomy 6. You shall teach them diligently to your children. We're teaching our children the gospel. We're disciplining them when they go out of the way and out of what Tripp might call the circle of safety. But I want to focus today about what that's backed up by. What allows your instruction and what allows your discipline to be effective is that it has to be backed by good modeling. Modeling is the name of the game. Think about even how God does this in Jesus' incarnation. Right? What did God do? He sent us, this was not only, but he did come before us to show us the life, right? That was 1 John 1, 1 and 2. He modeled for us the quality of eternal life. God was so committed to good modeling, he came into the world in the person of his son. So, so you know, that's that picture worth a thousand words, you know, and it's this idea that you can, you, you, what you say to your kids is ultimately going to be of no effect or even of poor effect if it's not backed up by you modeling the things that you're telling them. Things like love for God, modeling love for God, supreme love for God. That was one of the things that I think my parents did especially well. They were not perfect. They were not perfect. But what they did was right from the get-go, my sister and I were seeing that what was important was God's kingdom. And we were secondary to that. We were not the center of the universe. God's kingdom was. And as they lived out devotion to God's kingdom, they were modern so that we could not... That wasn't their, their primary reason, but the effect on us was that we understood what was really important. They modeled for us love for God. We need to model love for God and single-minded devotion. We need to model love for the church and especially our local church. So if you're part of Redeeming modeling love for Redeeming Grace Church. We're going to spend a lot of time on that. But that especially involves putting my needs subservient to the needs of God's people. Modeling commitment to family. Loyal love. Modeling loyal love. You can't stop, your kids can't stop you from liking them. They don't have that power. You can demonstrate for them and model for them what the loyal love of God is like in demonstrating loyal love for your spouse and loyal love for your kids. It can look like selfless care. You know, do your kids, are your kids seeing that you care for them but only with a grudging attitude because they get in your way? Kids are terribly inconvenient, aren't they? So is your care for them out of a true, generous selflessness or do you, they have the sense dad's busy just need to stay out of his way? Because what is that communicating to them about God? What is that communicating to them about God? It's telling a lie about the fatherhood of God. That he's someone that probably is bothered by us. 
We need to model commitment to them and acceptance and connection. I'm running a little fast because I'm running out of time. We need to model humility, also known as a sense of humor. Genesis 2. What's fun? What are we made out of? What's the guy made out of? Dirt. Mud. What's the woman made out of? The rib of dirt. Right? We are, we are, we're, we're ridiculous creatures. <laughs> right? We take ourselves so seriously and require that our children take us so seriously. Right? We need to model for them humility. That means, that means when we sin, we re- say, son, I'm sorry. Sweetie, daddy was wrong. Please forgive me. You're modeling humility. You're modeling being able to laugh at yourself. You're modeling the fact that you're ridiculous. You know, I mean, some of you have known me long enough to know that I have this weird, bizarre tick where I, I kind of rock back and forth when I'm concentrating. It looks ridiculous. I've seen myself in a mirror. It doesn't seem ridiculous when I'm doing it, but when I see it, I'm like, good grief, it looks odd. <laughs> well, my kids see that. Am I just going am, am to allow the, the fact that I'm a bundle of inconsistencies, I'm a bundle of, of sins, I've got feet of clay, am I going to let them see that and be okay with laughing at that? Or am I going to make sure that they know that I am the papa? And, you know, then, you know, I mean, no, you know, let's just be real. We have to model the reality that we ourselves are not the ultimate standard, right? Well, if modeling is what backs up our instruction, our biggest enemy, our biggest enemy is hypocrisy. Our biggest enemy. Modeling is what backs up our instruction. If our instruction in the gospel is, has to be backed up by modeling obedience and faithfulness to the gospel, then the biggest impediment to our kids loving Christ is hypocrisy. Now, every one of us is a hypocrite small h hypocrite, right? Because we're all sinners. We're all still not living according to the standard. is not whether or not we're living according to the standard. It's the, the problem is big hypocrisy. Where we're requiring or teaching things that are blatantly inconsistent with what we are actually modeling. If our kids see a huge dichotomy between what we are telling them, if we are talking to them about being kind to their siblings and they see us kind to our spouse. If we're talking to them about respect for authority and they hear us grumbling about the elders or about the government. If they see us, if, if, they, uh, if we're teaching them or we're talking to them about sacrificial service and yet whenever someone calls on the phone, you know, can you help? The answer is always no. See, kids are very gracious. Have you, have you ever... I mean, you've, you've all sinned against your kids, and hopefully you're, you're asking their forgiveness. My kids are so forgiving of me. You know, Daddy, Daddy was angry, and he spoke with you harshly. Please forgive me. Sure, Daddy. Yeah, you know, they bounce. They bounce back. What they can't handle is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy will cause them to mistrust the gospel. It will cause them to mistrust God. Cause them to think that Christianity is a load of bunk because it does not work. And so modeling is key. Hypocrisy 
is our enemy. Now, we honestly just do not have time to keep going. I did not leave enough time for, what, for understanding our team, but I will quickly say one word about the last one, which is understanding grace. Understanding grace. Parenting is hard. Gospel parenting is very hard. And yet, there is hope and there is help in Christ for this hard work. Hebrews 4, I love Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one whom in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So if you're in the trenches and things aren't going well, there's mercy and grace available. There's mercy and grace available to you from God. If you think you've blown it and your kids are already out of the house, there is mercy and grace available for you to get back in the game and, and keep going, keep writing. There's mercy and grace with our merciful Savior. And there's a church family to help. We'll talk about that more. The team. You need the team. Now, as we finish up, I wanna, I'd actually like a show of hands because I want to... We'll, we'll order these in two weeks, but I'd like to say... I'd like to see who would like to order you a copy of... This is, for, this is basics and this is for littler kids. This is for teenagers. Shepherding a Child's Heart, Age of Opportunity. Is there anyone who already knows they'd like me to order them a copy of Child's Heart? One, two, three, four, five. Five. Okay. Is there anyone who knows they'd like me to order them a copy of Age of Opportunity for Teens? One, two, three, four, five. We're going we're gonna to have, uh, if you're not sure, we're going to, that'll be in the Thursday email. We'll order that. It won't be here next week, but it'll be here in two weeks. Those are excellent job. That's going to be $10 for a book. That's no margin for us. It's like, um, but it just allows us to be the clearinghouse and you don't have to go and order it. So, all right. Uh, let me pray and then we'll let the rabble and the horde in. Father in heaven, we want to we want to acknowledge our weakness, and we want to acknowledge that this is a task that is beyond us. It is too great for us to bear the weight of stewarding these precious souls. We are insufficient for it, and yet we know that you are the sufficient God who has merciful grace and power. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, to parent our kids in a way where hypocrisy is at a low, and connection and, and uh, modeling of, of obedience and love for Christ is high. Thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.